Hello, and welcome to the program, Woke Up. And on today's uh, program, we have a, a, a wonderful young woman who has had a, a, a pretty experienced life and has experienced many different things. She was raised Roman Catholic, but then as a teenager, uh, she was sucked into today's crit critical social justice movement, had her ideology transformed, and uh, she got heavily into feminism. Uh, she was part of the woke mob. She was an anarchist. And then uh, the process over the next 10 to 15 years, uh, she's going to be sharing about what uh, really goes on in the inside of today's critical social justice movement. And uh, we want to welcome to the show Amy Mastrini. Uh, she is the co-host with her twin sister, Julie, of the Mystic Sisters. And uh, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. Well, why don't we get right into it? Well, let's, why don't you tell us about yourself and where you came from and, and what the, the cult and the ideology of critical social justice really is like from, a, from an inside view and how you got sucked into it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like you said, I was raised Roman Catholic and my experience of it was just that it was very distant and I didn't feel God's presence there. And I think this made me vulnerable to what happened next. Um, so as I'm being raised Catholic, um, I have some questions about God that aren't being answered by my Sunday school teachers. Um, I started to view it as kind of anti-intellectual. Um, didn't I would have questions about like the dinosaurs and abortion. And um, I didn't really get answers that felt satisfactory to me at a young age. So there was this big disconnect between the church and me and my peers. And a lot of us decided uh, to become atheists because we just, we just thought it was corny, um, you know, just felt really dissatisfied with how we were being taught. Um, so around this time, also, people my age were getting internet connections in their home and um, message boards were becoming uh, more of a thing. And I really liked movies and film and celebrity gossip. So I would log on to message boards. And in the comments, um, I think I was reading a lot of content that um, women and gay men were writing from universities. So I was probably about 14 at the time and they were probably in their late teens or early twenties. And a lot of the commentary had this feminist bent to it. Um, and I, you know, thought it made a lot of sense. Um, I think I was young and kind of looking around and was a little um, dissatisfied with like the, the men around me. I certainly wasn't feeling, and no one was telling me like men are supposed to take care of you. And um, I just found them not very respectable. And, um, you know, all around me was just this messaging that you have to take care of yourself. And the next step is college. And you know, then we're all discussing that there isn't a God. So yeah, from a very young age, I d just wasn't being, I think, uh, communicated with well about truth or principles. Um, but the home you grew up in, uh, I saw something that you wrote that you, you speak well of your father and your uncles. It seemed like you had a relatively healthy home and uh, good relationships uh, in terms of uh, uh, male influence in your life. Yes. And I think um, as a young woman, I just didn't appreciate it at the time, but it was absolutely there. So when I tell them my story, I, I think maybe they get a bit of an like extreme picture in their head. But 
I always had like this foundation in me. So while I was like exploring these radical movements, a part of me also had like a distaste for them the whole time. <laughs> so, and I think that has to do with my upbringing and that I had um, a big Italian family, uncles, a gr grandfather, um, my dad treated me very well. So I did have some bulwarks against this. And I think that's why ultimately I was able to come out of it and, and rest back at home. So, yeah, but I think, um, when you're a young woman, you're really socialized by your peers. Um, you just don't respect authority. At least I didn't at that age. And uh, you want to fit in and you're, you're really driven by what your peers are doing. So I think that was what was socializing me more than like my family and my community. It was like girl, young girlfriends, um, the media and a curiosity, right? I just wanted to know like what was out there, you know, what's the truth. So I entertained some of these ideas. Like maybe my parents are wrong was, um, an inquiry that I had and I wanted to go find out for myself. So then right after high school, you went off to university or was that the, yep. Yeah. I actually let, went to university a bit earlier than most people. I went the summer, um, that I was 16, 17 and there, I, I think a lot of the ideas I was picking up online were reinforced by professors because most of the professors at universities are very liberal. So I would take, um, I was interested in marketing, sociology, and just like human patterns of behavior. And those uh, fields are almost entirely taught by, by liberals. I remember my professors were from Berkeley and we all know what kinds of ideas are shared at Berkeley. Um, so yeah, college just didn't help me at all. I was very um, ill at college. Um, it's kind of funny because as I was exploring these, well, it's not funny, but as I was exploring these ideas, my body was very like symptomatic. I had like symptoms of anxiety and depression and I wasn't connecting that the way I was thinking and the ideas I was following in my lack of God was causing these symptoms. Like I just wouldn't make the connection. Um, so yeah, college, I went to college and uh, college, I was very progressive and I was involved with a lot of radical anarchists and queer people. Um, so, and a lot of students who hated white people, which now I just, I see the irony, like my family is white. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they had a lot of radical language and we would do um, like demonstrations at the student center about like rape culture. And I remember my professor one time said um, in a lecture he was a little more of a balanced person. He said, I don't see any evidence that a rape culture exists. And I went and told my activist friends and they actually disrupted his class with signs that said like rape culture is real. Um, and he was really startled and, you know, but he was, he was gracious. He like gave them the mic and asked what they had to say. But um, I actually reached out and apologized to him for that um, in my, my later adulthood because I just, think he was correct there was like there isn't a rape culture <laughs> uh, that's such an extreme thing to say um but yeah so I'm trying to think of other things that we did in college uh so you were an activist in college and you said you were part of uh now the people that didn't like white people were they mostly the white people uh, the elite white people that were rich enough to go to college or were the black people uh saying that as well you know the black people I met at college were Christians. Um, and uh, it, this was um, a friend of mine who was 
Uh, she called herself Mestiza. I forget what that means. I think it's like like a mixture. Yeah, so she was like white and Mexican. I think that. Mm -hmm. And she just hated white people. She she was from California also. Starting to like note like there's a pattern here of a lot of these ideas coming from California, right? Um, so yeah, and she but then she dated a white guy, so it was all like you know her revealed preferences were that she liked white people um and all her friends were white but they had the same like language of 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 saying that they hated white people as well and white supremacy is such a problem um so there was always like this hypocrisy there and um you know there was also a lot of grooming that went on like these queer friends that i had would always try to like convince me i wasn't a straight woman they'd be like well you know that's just a heteronormative concept and you've been probably like programmed to think that you're straight and i'd like consider it but but be like you know at the i, I wouldn't fully reject it but um they were definitely trying to like convert people is, is the way i see it like they were trying to like bring in more people to be queer and get them to like try to have young people question their sexuality um was a big part of their agenda so it was very toxic they were very mean weren't good friends like everyone was always angry there was the spirit of anger and resentment um humility was never mentioned if you didn't have the right up-to-date language um about like gender or whatever new construct we had they would be very mad at you and how could you not know that like we don't say this anymore we say this because it's more inclusive so it was just also impossible to keep up with. And I think something that started to like chip in mine and some of my closer friends armor was that when we would go to these meetings of people who shared our ideology, they would get really heated and really angry and people would be very hostile and be yelling at each other on the basis of like their identity, like things they couldn't help. Like, you know, well, you're a white man. So you, you're saying this and like, my voice is more marginalized than yours. And it was just this like oppression Olympics. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I didn't see it at the time, but that was college. <laughs> that was college. And, for me. and were uh, pronoun rituals uh, in the scene at that point or had that not hit? Not as big. It wasn't as big. Um, but yeah, I do remember my friends saying like, I'm a they, he, um, and but that I watched explode. I feel bad because I feel like I sort of ushered this stuff in. Like when I was at college, there were a lot of conservative kids and they just thought we were loony. And um, uh, definitely there was like a conflict there. Uh, but I was a part of a kind of small group. Like my activism and my radicalness was pretty fringe for that campus. But now I think it's a lot bigger. And um, I went back to my alma mater on the 4th of July and there were no American flags. There were gay flags all over the the center of town. So do you mind mentioning what your alma mater is or is that? Yeah. Penn State University. Oh, Penn State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, So I don't I wish I had better things to say about it. I think, I wonder if, you know, you can find more balanced professors there now, but I somehow doubt it. I just think universities attract really progressive people. Um, and then I have this, I had this tweet that went really viral once when I said, like, I said, the irony of people paying therapists to work on the ideas that they paid money to get in universities. Like, you pay all this money <laughs> to get all these bad ideas. And then I had to go to a lot of therapy afterwards because I was like, I'm sick and I don't know why. And 
it's like, well, it's the way you're thinking, like, and your beliefs are making you sick. So that was kind of the next part of my story. After I got out of college, I was just very unwell. And um, I think a lot of people struggle to adjust to the adult world of working. Um, but for me, I kind of dropped some of my progressive economic ideas. My friends were getting into libertarianism because of Ron Paul. And uh, so I started to just, you know, like I said, I was very in, wanted to do what my friends were doing. So I was like, okay, it's not cool to be like a, um, uh, a fiscal liberal. So we all believe in free markets now. And um, okay, but I want to hang on to my like social liberalism. So I was like a left libertarian and uh, went to Washington, D.C. and worked in the libertarian nonprofit world. But that was a lot of anarchists and people who didn't believe in authority and didn't want to be told what to do. And there was this kind of like childish, juvenile ethos to it all where we didn't trust anyone except ourselves and people had a lot of drug problems and drinking problems and um there was a lot of uh experimentation with different types of relationships like people my age were very interested in polyamory there was a lot of sleeping around um so i you know and i was miserable uh around in this type of social scene and i started to scare myself because i i was having like suicidal ideation and i was like that was an alarm it was really frightening me so i started to seek out therapy and um that was a big turning point for me i didn't like totally drop it was a long journey from then to to get well but you know i just think there's people point this out all the time there's absolutely a link between mental illness and then this set of ideas it's like you will be symptomatic you will not be happy or at peace in your soul and um, your body will start to tell you that you're running. It's like your body's hardware and you're running bad software and or like you have a virus. And, um, and there's yeah. a, a man who's on the show. His name is Josh Locum. He has uh, he has the disaffected podcast and he just talks overwhelmingly that the people that are uh, seduced by the ideology and look at the le- the world through this lens of uh, the oppressor oppressed uh, victim uh they are off the charts in terms of uh, cluster B personality disorders, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, histrionic or narcissistic personality. It's just like it really amplifies and uh, sends people off the charts in terms of their, their mental health. And, you know, just anecdotally, people that I've known, uh, they're all on antidepressants and anger and filled with resentment. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's completely connected. And, um, you know, I think it, I, I remember one thing I started, I started to go to therapy and I found this like Christian therapist and I don't think she was very open with me about the fact that she was a Christian. I kind of learned it later, but she was the only person that kind of like looked at me and knew what to do with me. I went to all these therapists and they were just like this. I think they were used to like young women coming to them and being like, I'm fighting with my boyfriend, but I was like, I want to kill myself. And, and they didn't, they were really like overwhelmed by my existential crisis, but Hmm. this therapist I found wasn't, and she seemed to like understand and she helped me. And one of the things I would chant to get my brain into a better place was it's complex. It's complex. It's complex. Because like you said, I was looking at the world in a black and white lens of just oppressor oppressed. Um, You know, this, this very like flat two dimensional way of looking at things and voiding out all the, the complexity of the world. And that helped me a lot. I saw a lot of like more results, like 
I got a lot better after I started to be like, it's complicated. Life is complicated. It's not as simple as you think it is. I would, I used to walk into a supermarket and be full of resentment because all I saw was like capitalism. Like I'd be like, and I had no um, sense of like flipping things that are negative into a positive. I just didn't know how to do that. Um, But then I started to be like, okay, well look at all the choices people have and the, the food that's available. And I started to learn about like, communist Russia and that helped a lot and I saw a video of the supermarket and where there were just there was nothing on the shelves and all the the meat was rotten and that started to help me kind of um overcome my hatred of like the west and like capitalism um yeah you you talk about like the irony of uh, an institution like Penn State University or all of these universities that have been uh subverted and uh, the ideology is rampant all throughout it's ironic because they're the ones that are saying, oh, America sucks and capitalism sucks. And, you know, that's what gave the economics to build those institutions, to hire those professors, to tenure them, to give them, to put billions into endowments. It was capitalism that, that funded those institutions to set it up. And then oftentimes these uh, kids that are going to these schools uh, that are saying, oh, tear down the patriarchy and we want to destroy America, not only the country, but it's like, their parents who sacrificed to pay them to, because they're so privileged and now they're just filled with resentment toward every aspect of institutionalism and they're producing nothing, but they're receiving and doing it through the benefit of capitalism, the United States, as well as or the, the economics of the West, as well as family sacrifices that have built the wealth for them to even have the privilege to go there or even the systems of getting a student loan. Uh, that was built because there's confidence that those loans will be repaid back. And so I just think the the hypocrisy of some of this stuff, as well as the irony is, is quite telling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fundamental lack of gratitude. Like I had no gratitude uh, for where I was from or the sacrifices people made for me. It's just a very selfish and um, angry and dark outlook. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to deny that there aren't like negative externalities to capitalism. It's not a perfect sure. thing, you know? So like maybe we can talk about some of those grievances, but just the, the lack of, you know, um, creative thinking also with that mindset, like um, it's just like, well, communism sounds better. It's like, yeah, on paper, but have you looked at societies that actually tried communism and like, what were their outcomes? They're not good. And lots of people died. Lots of people died. Yeah. Um, but they, there's no, also, I think American Americans that are my age don't get an honest education on hit world history. So you're not told about um, communism in other countries. It's because all your professors are communists. So um, it took me leaving college and getting more world, real world experience to uh, hear ideas like well thought out ideas about like what conservatives thought about things because you're just I just feel like young people are totally insulated from um those ideas I don't know I I genuinely really didn't encounter a lot of them uh no one was really talking to me well Uh, and free speech and open dialogue and the Socratic method and uh liberalism isn't even allowed your your silence shut up Your, your speech is hate speech and it's it's become intolerable. It's the furthest thing from liberals. I mean, they brag that they're liberals, but they're not. They're illiberal, totalitarian. They control everything in terms of what you think, what you speak, how you feel, and uh, the compliance. You know, you, you earlier in the show you said that you were frustrated with the ever changing uh, 
changes of of what was culturally acceptable and what your speech was. There's, so there's no freedom. It's total control. It's and uh, you also got sucked into uh, feminism, uh, an unhealthy form of feminism. So not that you know you know we we're going to fight for equality in terms of. Uh, having women have an op the same opportunities and given the same opportunities for education or, or vocation. Uh, but you uh, had a, a lens of feminism that even uh, fueled your resentment more. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about how you got sucked into that and what your worldview was during those years. Yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah, feminism is a complicated topic for me because I think it wasn't entirely wrong of me to be sort of, disappointed or distrusting of the young men around me because they weren't really acting respectably. So I think my response was like, well, I'm just going to like not need men. But then the problem is that it turned into this like toxicity of me, like hating them and uh, buying into uh, narratives about how men like rule the world and the patriarchy is keeping you down. It's like, that's uh, too far. And feminism has modern feminism. I think there were, genuine waves of feminism that might had had some good points like women who had abusive husbands needed other options you know um uh th that was always a historic that was a historically a problem and um feminists of the past were working on that problem that's okay but modern feminism is this really nasty thing that says that it's empowering to um just like be naked online or have as many sexual partners as you want They're, they have this like very crass it's very crass and um i think it's completely wrong because uh it doesn't treat the female person as sacred and something to be protected and valued it's just um really dehumanizing but they call it empowerment it's a total perversion uh where you know uh sleeping with a lot of people is supposed to be good for you, but really women who do that are very miserable and symptomatic. It doesn't, because we're not built for that. Um, you know, not to be like too into like evolution, but we really didn't evolve that way. Like, you, you know, families are made with a man and a woman <laughs> and that in a monogamous context. So it's very, un, it's actually very unnatural to be sleeping around and feminism calls this empowerment for young women. And then young women are very miserable and hurt all the time because women can't untangle their emotions from sex, not in the way that men can. I'm not even convinced men can totally do that. Right. But um, yeah, so it's it's really hurting them. And um, you can see it online all the time. Like uh, women are convinced that it's empowering if they're half naked online and that they don't see a problem with it. And also I think feminism, modern feminism, school, certain schools of feminism have this uh, angle that where they're, you know, they're, they're adjacent to like the queer theory stuff. So they purport that anyone can identify as a woman. They have no definition of womanhood at all. Um, if you just say you're a woman, you are. So they, they're the ones saying, you know, trans women are women, which is such a ridiculous statement because if that were true, you would just say women are women and we would know what you are talking about. But the fact that you have to qualify, it means that these things are different. Um, like That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you know, that is a really toxic and bad uh, part of modern feminism as well. And um, uh, like I said, I always had I always I had a good father and kind of like an I think like an inner Catholicism. So I wasn't like like too involved with this. I had like boyfriends and dated normally, but like this was always like around me and something I would observe. And 
I saw a lot of young women caught up in it and I would think it was fine until I noticed how hurt they, they were getting. Um, modern feminism is also very pro-abortion because to for their sleeping around uh, is okay narrative, they're gonna need abortion because accidents are going to happen. Um, so, and, you know, a couple of my friends had abortions at a young age and it just ruined them spiritually and psychologically. And that was something that woke me up as well. Like they would maybe have a couple of drinks and suddenly just melt down about like an abortion they had had. And we're all just supposed to pretend that it, abortion is healthcare and it's healthy for women. And nobody mm -hmm. talks about the, the spiritual and psychological problems that come that after a woman has had an abortion and there's, I did find data that said like the increase in suicidal ideation is like 90%. Like the, the, the limited statistics that are out there about it are, are devastating. Um, so yeah, that was another part. I, I used to be very pro-choice and liked Planned Parenthood and um, until I started to meet women that had gone through this and it clearly had hurt them very badly. Um, and the left just, you're not allowed to talk about that. You're not allowed to say that it isn't just something to celebrate. So, so it's, it sounds like a pretty miserable time in your life. You had completely rejected God. You were probably to a certain level estranged from your family in terms of at least ideology. Uh, you were in this friend group that were constantly angry and fighting and, you know, controlling your speech. Uh, you look at the world through the lens of uh, victimization uh, you, you drifted into suicidal ideations. I mean, it sounds like, uh, joy was gone, uh, vision and faith for your future was gone. And it sounds like you're pretty miserable. So you go from Washington DC and then you decide, Oh, your sister, I guess, was living in San Francisco and you took a job out there. You moved out to San Francisco and then, and then, you know, when you tell us a little bit about that time out there in San Francisco, what, what that was like, as you went into live and reside in a postmodern hellscape. Yeah. So I went from working with libertarians in DC and that's where I had that bad uh, suicidal ideation crisis that I talked about. And um, I started to come out of that and get into like Buddhism and Taoism and kind of like new age stuff. And it, mm. it worked a little to get, make me better. I'm obviously hesitant to say that, but it did get me to more of a baseline. So my sister's living in San Francisco and I would visit her there. And I thought that was more of the place for me. So I'm an artist and I was getting into this like psychedelics and like new age stuff. So I moved out there and almost immediately got a job at a, a psychedelic research nonprofit. Um, I didn't even really know much about that kind of research. I just knew that, um, you know, this was a part of like the new age and the festival community that I was in. And uh, that the things I saw there are really what pushed me to, to Christ. Um, it didn't take very long, but yeah, San Francisco had a lot of problems. So um, I think when I moved there, I had had the experience in DC of conservatives having been nice to me. So I was like a little more guarded with some of the stuff that was going on there, but culturally it was just a complete mess. So people were very, um, into, into drugs, drugs were basically people's religion. And they even had like liturgical calendars around this stuff. Like the guy who invented acid was like considered a saint and, um, or, and 
they had like a day for him called bicycle day and that was on their calendar um uh 420 was celebrated for the sacrament of weed um you know the the people who had like discovered these like psychedelic chemicals that everybody was using were also painted in like iconography like you can look up like some of these things i have that behind me these icons people would do that kind of style of iconography for the people who had discovered LSD and DMT and all of the, these things. Or like, yeah, they had, I, I just started to see that there was like a religion around uh, the new age that was like a perversion of, of Christianity. But um, there's so many angles I could talk about San, the problems in San Francisco. Um, that was kind of what I was a, a part of professionally. Uh, there was also the uh polyamory problems there as well like i i'm assuming this is just in every major city right now but uh yeah, tell us more about the polyamory that seems to be pretty prevalent and increasing amongst the the young woke uh, mindset yeah i i think it was even worse in san francisco than it was in dc so Polyamory is this idea that you can have multiple romantic and sexual partners at a time and that jealousy is just like an ancient emotion that you need to learn to overcome. Um, and it's your fault if you are upset that your partner is sleeping with somebody else and you just need to go to therapy for that. So, uh, you know, in like San Francisco and in like the, the kind of like Burning Man communities, this is a really big, and in tech communities, this is a, a really popular idea. And I was never about it. Something it felt really disturbing <laughs> to me, obviously. Um, so, but I know that a lot of my friends were caught up in it and I particularly saw how it hurt women because I think women need, um, women need to feel like their heart is protected and their emotions are protected and to just pretend that like, you know, you have a boyfriend and he is dating and sleeping with someone else. And that isn't like a betrayal and painful to a woman is just delusional. So, you know, everyone, all these women I would meet were kind of like pretending that they uh, didn't care that their boyfriends had other girlfriends. And, you know, one point, one of my friends was, would sleep over her boyfriend's house and some like the night before his other girlfriend had been in, in that bed. And it was just so tragic and, and unholy. And um, I remember another girlfriend telling me, Oh, we were at a party the other night and I lost track of my boyfriend. And, you know, the next day somebody told me that he had spent the night with another girl and I was just angry for a second. And then I got over it. I didn't care. And I just didn't believe her for a second. I was like, this is eating you up inside. You absolutely care about this, um, which is why you're talking about it. So there's just this like self-deception that goes on um, where people pretend they're very evolved and enlightened and they can handle this. And they're everything is a reaction to what they consider like normal and mainstream. So if what's normal is to be like monogamous and uh then, well, you have to show that you're more enlightened than that and can handle this, this more enlightened uh, form of relating with people. But what they don't know is that it's actually um, an old idea that doesn't work and is proven to not work and causes a lot of pain and suffering. And that is why uh, monogamy 
that is why most people choose to be monogamous because <laughs> like run the experiment, see how it goes for you. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. Um, and it's really immoral. So yeah, I, I mostly saw how it, how it affected uh, my girlfriends and it was, it was really bad. And I'm sure if you spoke profoundly with their boyfriends, they would, there'd be similar senses of jealousy and betrayal and bone, uh, you know, just to you give yourself to a woman and, and she doesn't really care. She wants another man instead. And, or you have to share her and, you know, I'm sure it's both ways, uh, undoubtedly from a male yeah. perspective. Cause what it does is it just removes the meaning of your relationship. It's like, well, then our relationship is meaningless. If we have no boundaries and nothing that's special between us, that's just mm. for us, then our relationship doesn't mean anything. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people are just completely void of, of meaning and, yeah, it's it's really painful for people. I know that I knew men that were also hurt by by this as well. And they would like there was a lot of like freedom for me, but like not for thee too. like people would want to do it themselves. But then if their boyfriend or, or, or girlfriend did it, then they were hurt. And I was just like no one was like connecting the dots. that This was a really bad practice. Well, Amy, I want to I want to thank you for being so vulnerable to open up with our audience that your pathway and uh, you went through some pretty dark spaces and and i know that takes courage to, to talk about that but you know what the main reason why i want you in the show is i want you to tell about what happened in your life and where are you at now and uh, leaving all that behind because that's all part of your history who are you today and what happened and, and how did you get so incredibly transformed yeah so yeah we're kind of at the part of the story where i started to be like you know it would none of none of this is the right path um so what happened was, I think Jordan Peterson had a moment. Uh, he was getting really popular on YouTube. And my friend, who was a Christian, came to visit me in San Francisco and kept talking about him. And I was really annoyed with her. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy that she keeps talking about? Um, I tried to watch one of his videos, and it just didn't connect with me. I brought it up to my dance teacher, who was probably the only person I met in San Francisco that actually like genuinely thought for herself and wasn't involved in like a lot of toxic ideologies. And she said, Oh, Jordan Peterson's wonderful here. Let's watch. And she made it like very, like, I guess kind of like safe for me mm. to watch his video. Cause I had the sense that he was like, um, an undesirable and I wasn't like allowed to watch his video. And, um, he, it was a video called Jordan Peterson, his finest moment. You can look it up. It's great. And he talks about how, Western civilization is, it's no mistake that it's built on a, a man being unfairly nailed to a cross and persecuted. Um, and he was kind of making this connection between like a social justice warriors always being concerned about like oppression and how Christianity actually contains that message in it. He's like, yes, we're all oppressed. Like, what do you do with that? You can't, you can try to parse it out and play, uh, you know, Olympics of who's most oppressed, but ultimately every human being has struggles. And this is what religious people have always been trying to tell you is that life has suffering in it. Um, so that, what do you do with that? And he said, you, you try to be strong. You carry your cross uh, metaphorically and try to be helpful to other people, even though, yeah, you have problems and, and she has problems and he has problems and everybody has things that they're struggling with. Um, and I was just like, just blown away. I'd never heard anybody talk about Christianity that way. And I'd never understood that that's what it, people had 
been trying to teach me. So I dropped all my <laughs> all my leftist friends and I just started um, binge watching his videos about the Bible and Christianity. And I'd like excitedly tell my sister about it. And um, I would just paint at night and and just listen to his lectures. And it, it, it totally changed me. Um, I actually at one point felt a little sick. Like I remember feeling kind of like, oh my goodness, I've been ingesting poison for years and like physically felt ill while this was, all of these ideas were being like, exercised out of me. Um, it really did feel like taking medicine. Um, so, and like, there's like a purge, like, oh, I need to get all this, this bad stuff out of me, all these demons. And um, that things got strange. Like, I, I think I experienced, I don't want to get too like woo woo, but I, I did experience some demonic attacks while I was exploring Christianity. I think like some forces really wanted me to stay where I was. And um, I had bad episodes of sleep paralysis and saying the name of, of Jesus just stopped the attacks mm. that just uh, furthered my belief and my interest in, in, in Jesus and Christianity. Um, I would say there was like an awkward puberty where I was sort of between worlds where I was like wanting to hang on to some of the stuff I liked from the new age and um, but also really interested in Jesus. And I was struggling with like, what do, can I take and, and what can I leave? But um, ultimately, like the more I pressed into Christianity, the more I, like I was seeing all this dysfunction in society and I was like, oh, the Bible talks about this. You know, there's nothing new under the sun and mm. like, all these things have happened already. And history is like alive and it's not like some dead thing in the past. It's like all, these problems are like always happening. There's always this spiritual battle um, happening on this realm. And um, this, this gives me a, a, a pathway out of it. So, and every time, you know, everyone had said that Christians were like judgmental and bigots and white supremacists. And the more I pressed into it, Christians were so nice to me. Um, they were patient with me. Um, they were supportive. They would say they loved me. And like, I felt like they actually meant it in a way that um, the progressives didn't. And um, the more I explored it, the more it was just like very compassionate and I was meeting better people. Um, I, was so much of my anxiety was gone and my depression. Um, so yeah, it was just like, Oh, everything was a, a lie. This whole, this whole time I've been like, that's the one thing I can't be is like a, a Christian. And the whole time, like that was the thing that was, that was right. And that was actually going to give me like the internal peace and the mental stability that I, I so desperately needed. So yeah, and then I had a journey from. Yeah, you know, I just want to say, just fascinating. Uh, been doing this show for about six months now, and you are at least the tenth guest that was really uh, steeped in the ideology and really in a bad place. And God used Jordan Peterson to speak to them. It wasn't like a pastor or even reading the Bible on their own or meeting somebody else or just absorbing his videos. And it's kind of, yeah, I know he's controversial, and there's, you know. I think anybody who's effective is controversial. So I just find that fascinating that uh, once again, Jordan Peterson, who's a controversial figure, was used uh, to really help somebody that was in desperate need. Yeah, that's, I know, yeah, people, I might have like kind of outgrown a lot of his content now. Sure. I'm Orthodox, but I owe him a lot and a lot of people do. And he's I, I became a Christian. I became a Christian through Seventh-day Adventism. And I just was a younger man and I absorbed all that. And, you know, now I can look back at that and say, I don't necessarily agree with all those things. And, you know, I, but I'm not 
slamming the Seventh-day Adventist church like some people would because it was this point in time that God used in my life to uh, get me to think about other things than what, what I was thinking about. So I'm, I'm kind of just grateful for that period of my life, even though I wouldn't go to a Seventh-day Adventist church for whatever that's right. Yeah, and I think that's actually the appropriate way to look at these things. And what was placed in front of us was there intentionally to help yeah. grow us throughout our journey. And so I don't even like hate progressives or new agers at all like yeah i love them like and i love them anyway and i understand where they are um the same with jordan peterson i don't hate him i'm not gonna you know publicly dunk on him or anything he helped me a lot so um i think he should be like i don't know he seems like saintly to me and like this, this man <laughs> walked, he has walked so many people to the door of, of church and even though maybe he doesn't enter it himself sometimes but you know that's that's really noble so yeah. <laughs> so then what, what continued to happen as you were uh, finding peace and in, in building a relationship with Jesus to, to where you're at today? What, what, because uh, some of the things you're doing now are absolutely amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I think, so I think I talked to you, uh, to you about this um, on our phone call before this podcast, but um, the, the thing is, is that when you do start to follow Christ, you do lose a lot of things and a lot of your life does kind of fall apart but you're okay with that because there's other things meeting you. So mm -hmm. I lost a lot of friends. Um, I had to leave San Francisco because I just didn't trust the people around me anymore. And COVID was a part of that. Also, I could feel something weird coming and didn't want to be around those people. But um, yeah, so I became, um, started to visit churches and I, thought, you know, I got humbled and I was like, maybe I was wrong about Catholicism. So I started to, oh, how I was raised. So I started to go back to Roman Catholic churches and just none of them were really like quite hitting for me. Um, I was like, hmm, uh, you know, this doesn't really feel like mystical and spiritual in the way that like, I think I'm experiencing uh, Christianity. So I also made a couple stops at some like non-denominational churches and that just didn't resonate with me at all because I'm a visual artist and I was like, where's the, the stained glass in the paintings? <laughs> so that's just like probably my inner like Italianness. But um, so, yeah. And I'm, I'm like learning about these different denominations kind of like against my will. I kind of just wanted to be a Christian and like not, and like find a church and not worry too much about Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Methodist, like all of these things. Um, but then I kept being told that I would really like orthodoxy by different people, like different people. This is coming out of their mouths. You would like really like orthodoxy. And I, I would just kind of say, I'd never heard of that before. And I wasn't curious about it. And then somebody asked me to paint an orthodox saint for them. And at that point it was like right in front of me. And I was like, okay, what is this re re Christian religion? Um, and that got me to pay attention to it. And then my friend started to take me to a couple of uh, Orthodox churches. And the first one I went to, I it, I, it was an older church with um, kind of a mean priest. So <laughs> I, uh, he kind of yelled at us for like cooing at a baby, even though like no one was there. And I was like, I'm never becoming Orthodox, but this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. This is the most beautiful church I've ever seen. Um, and then, you know, I gave it another shot, went to, another Orthodox church. And then I just like fell like a ton of bricks. I was like, this is awesome. Like the priest was really engaging. He came up to me and was talking to me about the paintings and 
I was like, how did he know I'd be like so interested in, in the paintings here and the symbolism in them? And um, yeah, I just like felt this kind of like inner fire of like, you need to be in this church. Um, can't fully explain it, but, and then the more I would read um, ancient faith booklets about orthodoxy and it just, it had all the elements I was looking for. I liked the new age because it was mystical, but it wasn't truthful. So it had mysticism, but it lacked Jesus and the, the truth of Christ. This was mystical and it had Jesus. So it was just like the perfect harmony. It was just what I was looking for um, all those years. So yeah, I've been, I converted to Orthodoxy in uh, March, 2021, and I've been Orthodox ever since. So, you know, I, th I find that fascinating because most Orthodox churches, uh, there's a very cultural aspect to them, the Romanian or Ukrainian or Russian and Greek. And in America, a lot of them uh, stayed tied to their language and in, in the homeland and it's, ethnic usually, but yet there's something extremely spiritual that goes on. And, and the, the man who is uh, my former pastor, one of my closest friends in the world, he converted to Orthodoxy and he's a Romanian Orthodox priest and has his, uh, his church in, uh, in Phoenix. And he just said he felt like he found home. And I think it is like the, was it the, the Wall Street Journal just did an article about the explosion in Orthodoxy, the growth in America and then, you know, all through America, there's a lot of growth going in, in orthodoxy, more so than in the mainline Christian denominations or in evangelicalism. There's this drawing of people to orthodoxy. And I think there's the reason, I mean, I was thinking about this, is there is a spiritual mysticism about it that's uh, faith-based and Christian, but it's in this postmodern world where nothing matters and everything's torn apart and everything's deconstructed, whether it's gender or faith or uh, relationships and, uh, you know, roles of parenting, it's one thing that's stable. And the, the divine liturgy has been around for since before Muhammad was born uh, for Islam. I mean, it's the same liturgy globally that happens every Sunday with the highlight of, of uh, the, 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 the the blood and the and the and the body and the blood of Christ and the mysticism associated with that and the experiential aspect of the of the incense and the chanting and the singing and the participatory nature uh, and the the mysticism of it and the and, and the strength of the stability I think is uh, an allure to people especially in your generation that uh that are looking for stability uh and sick of living purposelessness and meaninglessness and and just want to connect with the divine and so have you ever heard of a guy named jonathan pajo yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah he's he's been the, like the most profound spiritual influence on jordan peterson's life and he's uh he's an orthodox uh iconifer uh and he's 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 solid i love that guy and i how do you say it? I, iconographer Iconographer. Yep. All right. Now you've done a lot of paintings and uh, I'm going to pull up on your website, some of the work that you've done. And uh, so I think there's some similarities to his worldview and yours, obviously. And can you put, pull, pull this up? This is on your website, Amy, the artist. And uh, you can enlarge those, Diana. Yeah. So maybe you can talk about some of these and why these mean so much to you and what your inspiration is. 
Yeah, so I, I've always been a painter and it was exciting to me to find that orthodoxy had this painting practice to it. Um, it's They call it writing. Because Why don't you scroll it, through some of them while she's speaking? Yeah, because this, um, this is actually a piece um, that I did before I was Orthodox, but um, some of these other ones are a little more in the traditional style, but I like Catholic art and Orthodox art. Um, for Orthodoxy, the idea is that um, the painting is sacred. And when you gaze into the eyes of the saint depicted, you're, it's almost like a window to them mm. and you're interfacing with them uh, in a way. We don't worship, there's this misconception that we like worship the icon, it's not true. It's more like, um, like a meet, like, how do I say it? It's more like just uh, if you have a photo of a loved one and you use mm -hmm. it to gaze upon that, it to feel connected to them and, and to remind yourself of how much you love them. Um, it's just like that. So, um, yeah, I love painting these for people. A lot of people reach out to me and ask me to paint a certain saint. Like all of these actually were people's requests. And um, I learn about the saint while I'm painting them. And it's, it feels like intimate, like I'm getting to know them. And um, I think it's, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's been a really good practice for me. And I always felt that uh, painting and creating was a spiritual practice. It's a way to kind of commune with God and um, it helps your soul. So orthodoxy, having that practice as a part of it was, was really important to me as an artist. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not like, uh, mm -hmm. it's in America, it's very hard to find like a mentor for this. So I know that like a lot of what I'm doing is like not entirely traditional. I'm just like doing my best with the knowledge I have. And, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I try to just, yeah, be humble about it. Cause I know that there's, I, I have a theory and I want, I want to test it on you. When you look at the West, the West has really sucked into the, uh, critical social justice on all these levels or wokeism is, is referred to. However, in the East, like, uh, I'm not talking about Asia, I'm talking about Eastern Europe and Russia. And then I'm also talking about, uh, in Latin America, uh, they do not have the propensity to fall for this, uh, godless ideology like we do in the West. And it, it and the new secular religion is wokeism that you were a, a convert to at one point. And I think, and you correct me where I'm wrong, I think there's something about the beatification of Mary as the mother of God, where there's a, a reverence for her that uh, plays out in conservative Catholicism as well as in orthodoxy, whereby uh, the level of the femininity of Mary and the, and the, and the beatification of her seeps into the culture in such a way where people idolize their own mothers and femininity and women in a way that's healthy and balanced. And the idea of, you know, tearing down the patriarchy and tearing down the structure of family does not resonate as much in the psyche of Eastern Orthodox or uh, conservative Catholicism as much so uh, as, you know, if you study church history, there was a great schism of 1054 where, uh, Orthodoxy and Christian and Catholicism were unified and then they separated. And then, uh, and then through the Protestant Reformation, uh, rejecting the Pope. Now there's 10,000 churches with their own Pope, but yet they don't have, they've rejected, uh, 
the sainthood of Mary or the beatification of her. And I think uh, consequentially, as a result, there's less respect for the patriarchy and motherhood itself, uh, the divine order of things with m mom and dad, in, and it's uh, more susceptible as it's been in the West. And that's pretty well, you know, I said a lot of words there, but I was wondering yeah. if you think there's something to what I'm saying in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's, like I said, my story has a lot of like me struggling with like the place of women and uh, how to treat women. And this was always like a concern for me. So in, in the Orthodox church, uh, I, I feel like women are looked at properly because we have uh, such a, a reverence for, for Mary. Again, we don't worship her, but you know, she's there as someone that we can speak with who will intervene on our behalf and mother us. So, um, you know, she has concern for us. She, she, she weeps for our struggles. So I think it's, um, yeah, like an antidote to everything that they're upset about. It's like, if you're upset about like treatment of women and you think it's men's fault, like, why don't you look to, um, these religions that really revere a, a female figure, you know, and they are concerned with your protection and, um, you know, have an understanding of your vulnerabilities and want to help you, you know, cover for them. So, yeah, I think it, it's, I, I was unable to connect with any religion that didn't, um, in my belief, have Mary in the proper place. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I think a lot of Protestant religions are like, it's just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. Mary was just like a normal person. It's like, she really wasn't though. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, um, and in the Orthodox Church, I've, uh, men have a very healthy uh, way of relating to to women. Um, the priests are married often, not all of them, but a lot of them are married. And um, in the Catholic Church, the priests aren't. And I just felt a little like, I don't know what the word is for it. I, I just liked that the priests were married in Orthodoxy. Um, and some of them had families because I felt then they kind of understood, you know, the, the needs of women and children and um I know there's an argument to be made for like, then they can't devote their whole selves to their church, but I don't, I personally don't think it's a problem. So. It's yeah. interesting that you go from a worldview of, uh, and the voices around you to say, tear down the patriarchy, destroy the patriarchy, smash the patriarchy to one that's intentionally established on the patriarchy. And it's very patriarchal from the, the bishops on down and historically the, the church fathers. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. I think I had like the wrong patriarchy in some ways is one of these words that has been thrown around so much that it's just like losing its meaning, which yeah. is sad because no one, when I say patriarchy, I have one idea. But if I say that to a leftist, they have a totally different conception of what that means. Um, so to me, it means like, you know, a hierarchy of benevolent men and men keeping other men in check uh, for their like sins and, and, and bad behavior um, that then can like cover and protect women and children. That's what I think patriarchy really means. It, it's like good fathers, um, like a, like a system or network of good fathers. Mm. Um, but if you think it means like the bad aspects of, of a man, then yeah, you're going to be against patriarchy. <laughs> if you think it means like abuse and abandonment and all these like bad things. But I just, I don't think that's, that's what it, it means in the purest sense of the word. And the church would never condone that either. The church. No, ever. That's unacceptable. So yeah, if, if like young women are looking to be like taken care of or cared for, 
and have their hearts protected, then the church is where they want to be going. Um, Cause people are looking out for your well being there and they don't want you to be exploited. But sadly, I don't think a lot of young left women know they're being exploited. So have yeah. you been baptized yet? Uh, yeah. So I was um, baptized when I was an infant and someone told me that that might've protected me from a lot of the like demons I was around in my early twenties. Um, but then when I became Orthodox, I was chrismated um, and not rebaptized. Um, there's some debate about that, about rebaptism, because it's, you know, one baptism for the Well, they, they, they would, I, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I think if, uh, because of the relationship and the historical links between Catholicism and Orthodoxy, they would recognize a Catholic baptism, and as you said, be chrismated into the Orthodox Church, whereby, whereas I think if a, a Protestant Church member would convert to Orthodoxy, they would have to be they wouldn't necessarily recognize the baptism. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Like, because I think it depends on if the baptism is done in the name of the Trinity and mm -hmm. that's the, the difference there. And I think there's an agreement between the Catholic and the Orthodox church that they recognize each other's baptisms as a sacrament. So, yeah, so I think there's a, there's a lot of his, obviously historical links there. And uh, so my encouragement, even though I'm not Orthodox, uh, uh, I have not been uh, baptized into the church. I do go to the church and I feel very comfortable and I ask the, the father to bless me. You know, uh, I'm just not at that point in my, in my own faith process. Uh, but I would encourage anybody who's been seduced by the critical social justice mindset to study the claims of the Orthodox church and historical Catholicism as well. Because uh, you, I, I, as what you're saying, Amy, you found a lot of freedom and joy and deliverance and uh, the demons that once plagued you and filled your mind and led you to such a horrific depression have gone and, and you've been been totally transformed in your worldview. Mm -hmm. And so I was yeah. wondering, you know, and I would like to encourage anybody who's listening, uh, maybe buy uh, some of Amy's work online, you know, that'd be a great way to support her and what she's doing. And, uh, and so I'd, I'd like, you know, you to speak to the heart of, uh, uh, to close up here, any last things you want to say, but then also the, the only purpose that I'm doing this show is, is to amplify uh, voices of uh, people that were in the ideology that uh, were stuck in the cult, but then were delivered. And so I want you to just speak to somebody who's considering uh, being sucked into the brainwashing of what's going on in the secular religion or those that are stuck in it. Not that you can win an argument, but you know, maybe give them some hope and give them some direction or families that have been decimated by uh, losing loved ones to the, the, the secular ideology. So maybe you can give the, the last word about like what you're doing and the last uh, charge or exhortation to, to people that might be struggling. Yeah, I would just say that um, like conservatives and Christians do not hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's against our religion to hate you. Actually, we're we're called to love everyone no matter what. So if you've been told that conservatives are hateful mm. or Christians are hateful, they're they're really not. And if they are acting that way, they need to repent for that and that they're not actually living out uh, their, their values, their stated values. So. Um, you know, I would just say that, you know, it's not what you've been told and um, that um, you might actually find a lot of people who really love you and care about you, even if they don't agree with you. And there's a place for not agreeing with someone politically or 
ideologically, but still uh, caring about their dignity and their well-being. Um, and I, I think that's um, kind of what I didn't know. I didn't know that um, people on the other side of the aisle were still people with good hearts. So I would just encourage you to explore that. You might be surprised. And what would you say to the person? Because I think ultimately it's not even a war on each other, even though it's manifest that way. And that's what we see. It's kind of like a, a, a religion to keep us away from God. And as you were brainwashed to think that Christianity is oppressive and it's an oppressive patriarchal religion, what would you say to those that, would, that uh, up until this point just want nothing to do with Christianity because it's oppressive, it's a religion of hate? Uh, what could you push back and what could you say? Besides the Christians are, are, aren't what they might believe, what about God himself? I would say that um, God himself gives us a lot of free will. It's mostly free will that he gives us with then just like a, a couple of like, you know, don't do this, don't steal, don't kill, um, don't, don't cheat. But other than that, it's you have a lot of free will because um, God is not a tyrant. Um, a tyrant does not give you free will. A tyrant tells you what to do. But God is pure love and therefore not tyrannical. Um, you can come to God of your own free will. He wants that for you. And um, you have a lot of freedom and choice in, in your actions. And God still loves you. Um, yeah, you are called to um, do some rituals and practices to make sure you're taking care of your soul. But there are things that ultimately benefit you. Um, and... Yeah, I would say like, a, you know, a loving parent does, isn't a tyrant and uh, God is a, a loving father. Um, so his his um, his ethos, if you will, is not one of, of of tyranny and oppression. It's one of freedom and love and and joy and care for your, your well-being and your soul. Wonderful. And how can people get a hold of you? We'll, we'll, have, we'll have you in the notes and everything. But is there a particular way? Uh, that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, I um, uh, my website is uh, amy-the-artist.com and I have a contact form on there. You can also follow me on uh, Instagram. It's also uh, Amy the Artist. Couple of um, couple of underscores. We can put it in the description. But um, and then I also have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. I'm on all the all the social media except TikTok. Um, so. And uh, that's all Amy the Artist, because I looked under you is your name, and I couldn't find you on Twitter, but is it Amy yeah, the Artist? it's at Amy the Artist, yeah. Okay, and perfect. I took I just took my last name off some things. but um, And then I also do, like, I have an identical twin, and uh, we do a podcast where we talk about um, cultural issues, women's issues, orthodoxy, um, the topic of the day, movies, and that's called The Mystic Sisters, and it's on YouTube. Oh, wonderful. Well, well, God bless you, my sister. Thank you for the sacrifice of your time and the vulnerability you showed today. And thank you for coming on the show and uh, may be blessed and uh, may be filled with peace and joy as you go forward to discover the, the will of God for your life and uh, and that you your life has a great impact on many, many people. Thank you again. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Okay.